0: Well, I want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Pretty good? Yeah? (laughs) Excited to be here? Um, I'm fired up today because we are closing out our series today called The Power of Questions. And we're going to jump into that in just a few moments. But before I do that, I just want to, I don't want to blow past that last song we just experienced. Uh, I don't know if you remember it. It was just a few moments ago. (laughs) I just couldn't help but just... Let that message penetrate my heart. You are making all things new, and we are free. You know, if you're a guest with us here today, or if you haven't been to church in a while, that is the message of this church, that there's a God who wants to make all things new in your life, and what that looks like is freedom. Freedom from all that plagues you, Freedom from all that traps you, freedom that, that, uh, of all the things that, that you can't get loose from. It could be anxiety, it could be fear, it could be some type of addiction to a substance, it could be lust, I don't know what it is. The gospel promises if you should follow Christ, it promises freedom. Jesus wants to make all things new, and so as we baptize people today, what you're gonna see is a picture of Jesus making things new. The old is being washed away, and the new has come. Jesus wants to make all things new, and perhaps today you'll step into that grace and step into that mercy, and he'll begin that process in your life. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. That's what I was feeling just a few moments ago before this, before I just got up here before the video, and that's, that's our God. You love our God today, anybody? It's exciting. <laughs> The power of questions. Questions are powerful, do you agree? A really good question can change your life. It can cause you to think differently. And, and, And real change comes in our life when we begin to think differently about life. I love a really good question because it makes me me sit back and go, wow, I've never thought about it that way before. Maybe I should begin thinking that way. And when I do, I begin to shift. It could be a question about parenting or a question about about, uh, money or a question about how to walk with Jesus or or a question about, I I don't know, whatever it is. I, I love asking myself good questions because I get different answers. When I get different answers, my life begins to change. The power of questions. We've been talking about what would a great friend do a couple weeks ago. We talked about what would a great parent do. Bill gave a great talk on that last week. We talked about what would a great employee do. Anybody have a different week at work because of last week's talk? Okay, I got to preach a little better. All right, <laughs> my preaching is supposed to change your week. That's the hope, right? That's what we pray for. Uh, so hopefully, you know, maybe you missed last week's talk. Go back and watch that. Uh, it was all about how to how to you know live with God at work. It was it was I thought it was. I thought it was okay. (laughs) Anyway, um, so but today I want to continue our conversation and ask another really good, penetrating, difficult question. And here it is. You ready for it? What would a great disciple do? What would a great disciple do? Now, some of you are like, why would you ask that question? Well, again, behind every question, there is a value. In other words, when someone asks a question, you know what's important to them. We figured out what was important to our parents by the questions that they asked, right? Did you brush your teeth? (laughs) Did you do your homework, right? We learn really fast what is important to our parents by the questions that they ask. So in this question, we, we are really, there's a value behind it. Being a disciple of Jesus is very important. Being a really good disciple is very important, why? Because Jesus gave us these instructions before he left earth, check it out, Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore into all the world and do what? Make disciples, like that's what Jesus gave us, that's the work he gave for us to do. Like the church's goal is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which we're gonna do some baptizing today, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now watch this, teaching them to, say with me, observe all the things that I've commanded you, and guess what, I'll be with you all the way to the end of the age. I'm not going anywhere, I will partner with you to make disciples, I'm gonna help you to do this. Now what's God's help, what, is, what part does he play? Well he opens up people's hearts to hear the message of the gospel so that people could put their faith in him. And that begins the process of becoming a good disciple. But being a disciple is the most important thing. Did you know that God wants you to be a great disciple? Maybe you didn't know that, you need to hear that today. His goal, his plan for you is to make you and turn you into a great disciple. Now what is, a, what is a great disciple? A disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, becoming like him on the inside, and then inviting others into the process. It's not just about them, they've also began to look at the lives, they've become others focused, they look at the lives of their brothers, their sisters, their co-workers, their boss, their people who work for them, people who live in their cul-de-sacs and neighborhoods, and they invite them into the journey of following and becoming like Christ. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And inside, when you open up their heart, what you're starting to see is this this thing called love and joy and peace and patience start to develop in their heart. The fruit of the Spirit is beginning to develop inside of their character. The very character of Jesus is being developed inside of them. That's a disciple. That's the most important thing. So when I was writing this talk, I thought, okay, okay, we gotta be great disciples, and how do we do do it? And I know the answer. It's right here. Obey. Obey. Like, if I wanna be a great disciple, all I have to do is obey the commands that Jesus gave us. And if I obey the commands of Jesus, then everything's gonna go well, and if I love my neighbor of myself, as I do unto others as I wish they would do unto me, as I forgive seven times seven, all these different commands that Jesus gave, if I just follow Jesus' commands, then my life will go really well. And, and, I, and so what I did was I wrote that talk last week. I did. Wrote the whole thing. And then I, I was in the shower. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody. I was in the shower, sometimes it's on the toilet. <laughs> And, and you get a thought. Well, I was in the shower after I wrote the talk on obedience, because that's what a great disciple does. A great disciple obeys Jesus' commands, right? And I, and I, I didn't hear the audible voice of God, okay? I'm not one of those folks. I'm not saying that some people don't hear the audible voice of God. I don't. I, it's more of like a, a move, a nudging or, or a leading. And I hear God lead me and say, talk about worship in the shower. I kid you not. And I'm like, in the shower, I'm going, worship? But I already wrote the talk on obedience. Why would I want to talk about worship? And, And he's like, no, just talk about worship. And so I had to write another talk which I rarely do, I, I plan my series out way in advance and I, I, I don't really ever switch things around or sh- shift gears like that, but in this case, I really felt like God wanted me to shift gears. And so I, as I began studying and looking at this idea of worship, that a great disciple would worship, it, it became apparent that worship comes before obedience. Jesus taught this in John chapter 14, watch this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. There's the obedience part, right? The the person that is a disciple does what Jesus says to do. They're just simply obedient, right? And then my Father will love them, and and then we'll come and make our home with them, and and we'll just hang out with them and live with them in the kingdom together, empowering them, filling them, and that's that's the whole life of a disciple, right? But watch what happens before the obedience. Something happened before, prior, and it is what? Love. Jesus said, the person that obeys me and does what I say is the person that loves me. In other words, obedience is a result of me loving God. And as you, as you, as you study the Bible, and some of you have, many of you probably have, you know that loving God is synonymous with worshiping God. The, the, the first command is to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all of your strength. And the one of the 10 commandments, the first, one, the first of the 10 is, you shall have no other gods before me. Those are the same thing. To love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind is to worship God. And when I worship God and when you worship God, the natural outflow of that worship and adoration of God is yes, sir, I'll do whatever you say, right? Wouldn't you do that? If you loved God with all of your heart and he was number one in your life, wouldn't you obey your master, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. So what we find out is the answer to the question, what would a great disciple do? A great disciple would worship God. A great disciple would simply worship God. There's a great conversation between Jesus and a woman that I often talk about in John chapter four. They're having a conversation about water and there's water in the well. They're, they're, they're standing by a well. And then Jesus is talking about a different type of water, some spiritual water that, that is himself, literally is his spirit. And the woman wasn't with him, and she thought Jesus was talking about the physical water, and he didn't have anything to, to, get to, to get the water out of the well. and It was just kind of going over her head. She wasn't hanging with him in the conversation. So Jesus shifts gears and starts talking about her love life. <laughs> Got her attention real quick. He said, now listen, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're cur- sh- currently shacking up with is not your husband. She gets, she, woo. Now, that's my translation. He didn't actually say that, but, but, but he did call her on and said that the guy that you're with isn't your husband. So she, she realizes, whoa, this guy's a prophet. There's something different about this guy. So she shifts gears in the conversation. She starts talking about where her ancestors worship. She says, well, you Jews worship on, you know, in Jerusalem. My ancestors worship on the mountains. She's trying to just evade the conversation. Jesus follows her down, but he knows how to get to her heart. He brings the conversation back. Look what he says about worship here. But the hour is coming, he says this basically, that worship is not about location, it's not about this mountain or that mountain or this town or that town. He says, the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is, say it with me, seeking such people to worship him. Did you know that God the Father is seeking, he is looking, he is hunting for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's like God is a a romantic at heart. He wants you to want to be with him. He's seeking you to want to hang out with him. That's, That's the heart of God. Where do we get the idea of romance anyway? Have you ever wondered that? It came from God. He created the whole idea. Marriage was his idea. Our relationship with him is a picture of that. The marriage between a husband and a wife. Romance. He says, I want you to, I want you to seek me. I want you to worship me. I want you to love me. Now, we we Americans, we know about worship. We know how to worship. Well, let me give you a definition of worship so you can know just how it is that you do that in your life and how I do it in my life. What, what is worship? Worship is to is to attach supreme value to something and seek satisfaction in it. Seek satisfaction. To to attach supreme value to something and seek satisfaction in it. What what does that look like? Well, have you ever attached supreme value to money? Anybody honest in the room today? Like, money is it. It'll buy me happiness. It'll buy me everything I want. It'll take care of me. Money's the answer. Anybody? Now, after after you, you know, come to grips with the fact that you've done that, just as I have... um, also, on the tail end of that, isn't it true that as you've, as you've made that supremely valuable, you've also tried to seek satisfaction in it? That's worship. That's worship. Now, we can do this with a person. I just want to be married. I just want to be with somebody. I, I attach supreme value to a person, and I also, on the tail end of that, try to find my happiness in that person. Anybody ever do that besides me? Come on, come on, talk to me. Yeah, some honest folks in the crowd today. What about sex? Let's talk about sex. It's fun, isn't it? Those of us who are married (laughs) and are supposed to, you know, biblically doing it. (laughs) There's a lot of you who are unbiblically doing it. You shouldn't be. (laughs) Do you ever attach supreme value to that and then seek satisfaction in it? I have. I have. See? We know how to worship things. How about the things that money can buy, right? You have stuff. You attach supreme value to a boat or a car or a house or something like that, and then you try to seek satisfaction. That's worship. That's what it looks like. You were created to worship God. Jesus is saying, look, you're going to worship something, and you're created to worship me. And when you worship other things, what happens is the whole machine breaks down. Listen to what David said in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, 4. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. The, the car breaks down when you try to fill your tank with something other than me, is what he's saying. Things don't go well. You end up with an addiction. You end up with, with a broken marriage. You end up with a bad, broken reputation. You end up with you know, a broken relationship with your children. You end up with heaps of guilt and shame. When you chase after other gods, the whole machine breaks down. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. You were created to worship, but you have to worship God. This is why God commands us to love him. You ever wonder about that? How could God command us to love him? Listen to what he says in Matthew 22, verse 37. This is the words of Jesus. I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Like, this is a command. This is like a, this reminds me of my mom when she would sit me down and give me boiled spinach, not just me, but my two brothers as well. And she would say, you will not leave the table until you eat that spinach. She commanded me to eat my vegetables. Why? Because she knew what was best for me. I didn't like it, but she knew what was best for me. God says, here's, what, here's the deal, I want you to love me with all of your heart, because I am what's best for you. When you worship me with your heart, everything else works the right way. You see, worship engages the heart if you're taking notes here today. Worship is not something we just do in a church service or sing a few songs, and that's not, that's not worship. It could be a small part of worship, but worship engages the heart I love the book of Psalms. If, I would encourage you if, you, if you haven't spent time in Psalms, just grab your Bible and spend some time in Psalms. Listen to Psalms chapter 16, verse eight and nine. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not, I will not be shaken. My life will be steady. Therefore, therefore, watch this. My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices, and my body or my flesh dwells secure. See, that's worship, my heart. God, because I've made you the top priority, because I put you before my mind, my heart is glad, my heart is happy, my whole being rejoices, and my flesh dwells secure. Jesus had his strongest words for people who were worshiping without the heart. They were going through the motions. Some of you went through the motions today during the song. No affection for God, no love for God. You just you were here, you heard the music, but you didn't engage at a heart level. Listen listen to Jesus. Difficult words, penetrating words. Mark chapter 7. These people honor me with their lips, but their what? Their hearts are where? In a distant land. Thinking about who's playing today at one o'clock? How fast can we get out of here? How long is this preacher gonna talk? Because I gotta watch the game. See? Something else. What are we gonna eat? Some of you are thinking about lunch. You honor me with your lips, but your heart your heart's on food, your heart's on sports. Your heart, you know, there's a sale at Kohl's this afternoon. You got something else on your mind and heart. Therefore, your worship is what a farce. It's worthless. It's in vain. I, I don't want you to come and engage it at the at the at the, the level of your mind and, and just say words. Or I want you. I want. I want to know that you love me. Is what God is what Jesus was saying. Listen to what John Piper said in his book, Desiring God. He wrote this years ago. The engagement of the heart in worship is the coming alive of the feelings, emotions, and affections of the heart. He continues and says this. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. In other words, you cannot worship God if you have no feelings or affections or emotions for him. Can you imagine I come home to my precious wife on Valentine's Day and say, here's a dozen roses, and she says to me, well, why did you do that? And I say to her, because it's Valentine's Day. That's what I'm supposed to do. Do you think I win her heart that way? God says, I want you to come to me because you love me, because you have feelings of affection for me. That's what Jesus is concerned about. So when you look in the Psalms, this is what you see. You see this warrior David, this, 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 this poet, warrior, lover of God. Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That I might gaze upon the beauty of God and just seek to understand, to inquire, to to perceive, to grab grab a hold of what this God is like. Why? Because I love him with all my heart. That is worship. Are you getting this? Worship is attaching supreme value to something and finding satisfaction in it. You already know how to worship. You just have to do it to God. God. You see that? That's what a great disciple does with their life. And out of that worship flows obedience. Now, I'm a very practical person, so how do you do that? If you hang around here any time, you're going to know. I I like to ask, well, so how's that work? Anybody else? (laughs) Like, I want to know if I can do this tomorrow morning or tonight. I want to worship tonight. How do I do it? Watch this, ready? The secret, the key to worshiping God is thinking rightly about God. All you have to do is begin to get a right thought about God and you will lapse into worship. Listen to what Dallas Willard wrote. To think of God rightly as he is, one cannot help but lapse into worship. You see him as he is and you go, whoa, and you lapse, without even trying, you lapse into adoration and exaltation and love for God. This happened to John, and I know there's some of you who maybe avoid the book of Revelation, and that's understandable, it's a little bit weird, it's hard to understand, but, but there's some good stuff in Revelation. Right in chapter one, John, the apostle, gets a glimpse of what God is actually like. He sees him, he sees his face, his hair, his feet, his legs. John sees Jesus, watch the response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Wouldn't you? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. What is that? He caught a glimpse of what God is actually like and he lapsed into worship. (laughs) How do you do that? most likely, you're probably not gonna see Jesus this afternoon, do you agree with this? And if you told me you see Jesus, you saw Jesus this afternoon, I would tell you you're probably smoking crack or you're on some other drug. No, seriously, he often doesn't appear to people physically. Now he did to John, and he might do it for you, but it'd be hard to convince people that you saw Jesus, like actually saw him. But what's, so, so what do we do? How do we think rightly about God if we, if we don't see him, if we can't see him with our eyes? That's why we have the written word. Jesus is the living word, and he's given us the written word, and that's why I encourage you often to read the scriptures, because when you read the scriptures, you get a picture of what he's really like, and then you lapse into worship. This happened to me the other day. I was just, every day, uh, my wife could tell you I sit at the kitchen table. I read the scriptures in the morning before I go to work, before I get dressed, before I do all that stuff, and I'm sitting there reading, and, and I come across a passage in Mark chapter 10, and it's a simple passage. Jesus is walking through town and there's a blind guy there who's a beggar, so he's probably homeless, he probably didn't smell very good, he's probably filthy dirty, and uh, he starts calling out to Jesus. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, and the caravan, his disciples there, they start to shush this guy. They say, shh, be quiet. We got important places to go, right? You ever feel like you're really important, but you're not? Ever? They did. They, they felt like they were the big dogs. They were following Jesus and he's on this preaching campaign and he didn't have time for dirty, beggar, blind people. So, but this guy's like, he, the Bible says he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, something crazy happens. Watch this, verse 49. This is just my devotions. This is me sharing my devotions with you. Jesus stopped. He stopped. The caravan stopped. Everybody stopped. And he called to him. And the disciples are like, you know, the whole caravan has to come to a stop, so they're like, (sighs) hey, hey, master's calling for you, get up, filthy, get up, filthy man, he's calling you. Now, that's, I'm reading into the passage there, but just just making that up, but I think it happened. And so he gets up, and he comes over to Jesus, and, and Jesus says this, watch this, verse 52, 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm just reading this. I'm going, first of all, the, the, the God of the universe stopped. He stopped for a dirty beggar. A blind, filthy beggar. He stopped. And then he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm just reading this. Just reading it. It's probably 6.30 in the morning at my kitchen table. And then Bartimaeus says, I, I would like to have my sight. I would just like to see. Verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And right there at my kitchen table, I caught a glimpse of what Jesus was really like. That he would stop for one man. Not a rich man. Not a man man of position. Not a man of influence. Not a man who could give him something back or repay him a man who had nothing, and he stopped, and I saw a picture of the depth and the grace and the love that God has for individual people, and I was reminded of the moment of 20 years ago when Jesus stopped for me. A a rude, obnoxious, arrogant, punk 17-year-old kid He stopped for me, and he'll stop for you, and he'll stop for your kids. That's what he does, he stops. He says, what can I do for you? And I just caught a glimpse of what he's really like, and here's what happened, here's what happened. Right there at my kitchen table, I lapsed into worship. And some of you are thinking, did you start singing? No. (laughs) I can't sing. In fact, one time when I was singing, my microphone was on down front here, and then the whole church heard me. They were like, turn him off, turn him off. Worship isn't necessarily singing. Worship is adoration. Love for God. How do you get that? Some of you are like, I don't have affections like that for God. Here's what you have to do. You have to think rightly about him. When you see him as he is, you can't help but lapse into worship and adoration of him. Now, you don't need the scriptures necessarily to do that. The scriptures are the main way to do it. But you can go out and look at a sunset or a sunrise, or you can go out and look at the moon or the stars and go, whoa! If you have eyes to see, whoa! God, you, you created, all. in fact, I have a buddy who, who's like this. He Every time he sees a, a moon uh, or the stars and they're looking like kind of special, he'll text me. He'll go outside, look at the moon, <laughs> you know, and, or look at the sunset, you know, because what's happening in his mind and heart is he's seeing a picture of this majestic, powerful, wonderful creator God, and he's lapsing into worship, and he wants to share it with me. You see that, see how that works? The heavens declare the glory of God worship. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus died on the cross, he rose again from the uh, from the grave so that you could be to be turned from a rebel into a worshipper. That's that's his goal for your life. Now that's beautiful, don't you think? A great disciple is one who worships. Let me share the result really quick for you and then I'll wrap this up and we'll baptize some folks. The result If you do this, the result will be not only satisfaction, but also safety. Let me explain what I mean. (laughs) Satisfaction in the sense that you have had a steak dinner when you worship God. You have filled up your soul with God. You are brimming over. You cannot eat another bite. In fact, I, I, was, I told the first service, I was like, picture yourself, you have this big, juicy steak. I know most of you don't like steak, but so maybe shrimp. I don't know what you like. But may you just have this wonderful meal, right? And you are so full. And then, and then the waiter comes over and says, you know what? We also have this incredible chicken parmesan. Now, I don't know about you, but I love chicken parm. Anybody else? and I'll eat chicken parm all day, but I just had a steak, you see? I just had the potatoes, and I had this, and I had the whatever, and I'm full, and I can't eat another bite. That is what I'm talking about. Worship is feasting your soul upon God until you're just filled. Now, why does that produce safety? Why does that produce safety in this world? Here's why. Because when you fill up your heart with God, with his spirit, loving him, adoring him, exalting him, and then Satan comes on the scene and he drops some temptation in your mind and he drops some temptation in your life, you know what you can say to Satan? I am full. I'll pass. I can't eat another bite. At one point, the apostle Paul said, Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. I can't drink another drop. I can't eat another bite because I am satisfied. And that satisfaction leads to safety in this world. Listen to what Dallas World said. Worship is at once the overall character of the renovated thought life. It's the constant theme in the mind of a disciple, a mature disciple. And the only safe place for a human being to stand. The only safe place for a human being to stand. Why? Because you're full. You're full. And when the enemy comes in and he tries to tempt you and throw some different things at you, you're full. I can't, I I don't even want to, I'm not even tempted by that. I'm full. And guess what happens? You get to keep your reputation in the community. You get to keep Your marriage, because you didn't take the bait. You get to keep a great relationship with your kids because you didn't act like a fool. You see? You get to keep your testimony for Christ in the community because you didn't bite. You see? But troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Psalm 16, 4. The only safe place to stand in this world is to live a life of worship, and the Father, guess what, is seeking you to worship him in this way. A great disciple would worship God. That's my challenge to you today. Now, I can preach that talk all day long, and that's good stuff, but when you see someone who actually did it and is doing it, man, it puts meat on the sermon, don't you agree? So I want you to hear the story of a girl named Jessica. I met her two months ago at the Banta campus, and I thought, oh my gosh, you, you have done exactly what I've been praying for. You have began to feast your soul upon God. She's getting baptized this weekend. I want you to hear her story. Check it out. Her name's Jessica
1: my life before christ was he was non-existent at all he was never really talked about Um, i never went to church Um, it wasn't until that i met my fiance zach um, that he ever really kind of became a part of it um, but only because he came from a very faith-based background a lot of things that i experienced was just uh, a lot of feeling of emptiness Um, i was very angry very lost and i tried to fill that void with many different things, none of which were successful. Um, I actually found temporary happiness in shopping. Um, So I gained a lot of debt. Something was was missing, um, and I just couldn't figure out what that was. It wasn't until I had my next two children um, that I had talked with several people and wanted to bring them into a church and give them a foundation and a home away from home. So I met a friend that I had mutual interests in um, and she actually is attends a manual and she invited me to come and told me it'd be a great place to start my life with Christ and with my kids. Initially, I had no intention whatsoever of starting a relationship with Christ for myself. It was all for my children, Um, but little did I know after that first service, (laughs) it was all about me. (laughs) I came in as a skeptic. I, I never sat through a church service before. Um, and as Danny was talking about the condition of your soul and he was talking about being hopeless and about being empty and just the condition of it, it struck me so deeply because he was touching on every emotion that I was feeling and being able to connect all those dots together and say that maybe this, maybe it is my soul. Maybe maybe that's what's wrong with me. i think it was i had nothing to lose at that point and i knew that i wanted to give it a shot because it was it was all or nothing after i said that after i said the prayer i was really scared i was really scared i wouldn't feel anything i was really scared that the 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 emptiness and all this wouldn't go away and all this this excitement that i had developed over the past two weeks that, that danny and everyone else had instilled and given me like the excitement um i was scared and then i said it and it was it, i don't know it's just this this weight just lifted off my shoulders as soon as i had finished and literally i walked out the out the doors and i would just took in a deep breath of fresh air and i just saw life completely differently and it just amazes me to this day that something that's saying a prayer and accepting christ can give you such a different outlook in in such a short period of time. Like, I didn't believe it. The stories that I heard in the first two weeks, I was like, this can't be real. This is crazy. And then I did it and it happened to me. And it's just still so, I'm still in awe about it. Um, Before, I felt empty and I felt hopeless and I felt sad. And after accepting Christ into my life, I feel at peace. I feel wonderful. I am the most at peace I have ever felt in my entire life, and I honestly enjoy life. Um, The biggest change that I have felt is the daily obstacles or struggles that you deal with in life, I look at completely differently. Um, I no longer dwell on them, and I know that God has a bigger plan for me that I don't understand, so I just take those situations with stride and know that God has a better, a better plan to come along for me. I have decided to get baptized because I feel like I'm at a point where I want to be held accountable for the decisions that I have made and the and it just express the purelation that I have for the changes that have happened inside of me. And I want to publicly display that I'm ready to dedicate the rest of my life to Christ and to raise my children and be a wife and do everything through Christ and I want everybody to see that.
0: Maybe you're like Jessica in the video. She said, you know, when I, when I walked into this environment, it was for my kids. And then all of a sudden I realized it was about me. Maybe you're here today because you came to see someone get baptized or You came because someone invited you, and you thought it was about someone else, but now you're realizing it's about you, and that God is seeking you. Yes, other people, but he's also seeking you, and he wants to turn you into a worshiper. Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago. He spread out his arms. Nails were driven through his hands and through his feet, and he was crucified to pay the penalty of your sin, to wash away all your sin, to make all things new in your life, to take his very spirit and put his spirit inside of you and make you a brand new person, to make you one of his very own children. That is a gift. That is called the gift of eternal life, and how do you receive it? You put your faith in Christ. You did what Jessica did, and hundreds and hundreds of other people have done. You ask Christ to be your Savior. You put your confidence and trust in the reality of what Jesus did for you. And when you do that, you become one of his kids. You receive eternal life and abundant life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, and you know that this opportunity is for you if you're sensing God pulling and tugging on your heart. You might, you might not know that's him. Well, it is. That's what he does. He tugs and he pulls, and he says, hey, this is for you. I want you to step into this. I want you to put your full weight into this. I want you to trust my son. If you're feeling that and sensing that, as I did many years ago, this moment is designed for you. Would you pray? In this very holy moment, reach out to Christ in faith and say these words. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I now trust you to wash away all my sin, to make me clean, as white as snow. I want to be your child today. I place my trust and confidence in you in your finished work on the cross. And help me from this day forward to attach supreme value to you and seek satisfaction in you and become a worshiper of you all the days of my life. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church would love to put a one-year New Testament in your hands. It's a gift from us to you. There's tables back here to my right and my left. There's folks back there that would love to put one of these in your hands if you prayed to receive Christ today. And we would encourage you to pick one of those up if you're in the balcony or on the main floor and begin reading these texts. Because the, the, the written word of God begins to reveal what Jesus is really like. And as we said earlier, when you see Jesus for what he's really like, you cannot help but lapse into worship. It's the only safe place for a human being to stand. And so let's give God, let's give God glory today for what he's done. I would like to, I would like to pray, and, but before I pray and dismiss you, We are starting a brand new series next week called Being Spiritual. It's going to be a four-week series. We're going to look at what does it actually look like to be a spiritual person on this earth. You're not going to want to miss that. Invite your friends, bring yourself back, and uh, we'll see you next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, you're wonderful. You stop for individual people like Bartimaeus. And you extend grace and you extend healing and you extend mercy to us. And it's because of you today, because of what you did on the cross for us, that we are here, we're gathered, worshiping you, loving you, inviting people into a journey with you. As we leave here today, may we leave as worshipers, attaching supreme value to you and seeking satisfaction in you. We love you. We hope you are honored today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend. Go grab a Bible.